<laughs> good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Vanessa's mother, Diana Kohanala. Shalom. Lilunishma Diana Bat Sophie, sponsored by Vanessa and Joe God. As well, in loving memory, Lilunishma Chutabat Esther. Alea Shalom, sponsored by Tamar Megadish. And the deluxe breakfast and class today is sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you. Um, and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. My friends, the Pasuk tells us that when Yosef, uh, when, the, when Yaakov and the brothers finally came down to Egypt in the aftermath of this amazing reunion between Yosef and his family, the Pasuk tells us that um, Yosef fell on the shoulders and he cried on the neck of his father. Now, it's interesting, this expression, because we find this expression also with regards to Binyamin. And he fell on the neck of Binyamin, at Savare. Uh, he falls on the, on the necks of his brother. <coughs> and our rabbis teach us, what does it mean on the next Savare? The Gemara tells us it means that Savar, the neck, is a euphemism for the Beit HaMikdash. He cried on Binyamin's neck. Why? Or necks? Why? Because he foresaw that the Beit HaMikdash, or at least or two of them, would be destroyed from within the portion of Binyamin, and he was crying about it. Now that sounds, number one, to be like a strange thing to be crying about at this particular moment in time, right? Why is that the story of, uh, of, of his emotion in this minute. But further, uh, we also really need to understand what, the, what do Chazal mean, what, have, what are our rabbis teaching us with this concept uh, that the neck is a reference point to the Beit HaMikdash. The Gemara actually brings a proof for this, it brings a pasuk, but perhaps uh, besides for the literary proof of the Gemara, we can understand a deeper idea in terms of the Beit HaMikdash and therefore as well in terms uh, of ourself. The neck contains two separate simanim, two signs, barmenan, if not, we now have shechita on humans, but shechita on an animal, we know that there's two simanim that are cut in the process of shechita. One is the trachea and one is the esophagus. The point of one is to be able to take food and bring it down, the food pipe brings the food down into the system to be able to sustain the life of the person. But the other one, the, uh, the other uh, tube, if you will, um, allows a person to breathe. It allows a person to take tefillot, to bring, to draw from the lungs or draw into the lungs and then to be able to bring it back out. The speech of a person, the song of a person comes through, through that pipe, if you will. So we're noticing this concept of the Beit HaMikdash is a reference point to bring that which is above below and to bring that which is below above. That personified the nature of the Beit HaMikdash itself. That the Beit HaMikdash was something that allowed us to be able to take our korbanot and bring them to Shamaim, but also to draw down the heavenly shefa, the, the berachot of the Shamaim, to bring it down to the earth through the Beit HaMikdash. My friends, all of us are aware of the idea uh, that the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, why? For Sinat Chinam. Now, 
for most of us, I think our understanding of that teaching is perhaps a little bit elementary or rudimentary. There's a, there's a crime, the crime is Sinat Chinam, there's a punishment, the punishment is the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. But perhaps there's a deeper way of understanding this concept, the concept of the association of Sinat Chinam and the Beit HaMikdash. The portion of, the Beit HaMikdash was built, we know, in the portion of Benjamin and Yehuda. Half of the Beit HaMikdash, it was built right on the line. The part of the Beit HaMikdash, the Kodesh, the Kodesh, the Kodashim, was built in the portion of Benjamin. The Chatzer, many of the other parts of the Harabites were built in the portion of Yehuda. In Yehuda's portion is the Mizbeach HaHaitzon, okay, where we sacrifice most of the Korbanot. There's a Mizbeach as well in the Beit HaMikdash, but that's the Mizbeach HaPenimi. What do we bring on the Mizbeach HaPenimi? Only. You never brought a sacrifice on the Mizbeach HaPenimi. The only thing you brought on that Mizbeach is the Ketoret, okay? So you have an inner and an outer dimension of the Beit HaMikdash. Yehuda encompasses the outer dimension of the Beit HaMikdash and Benjamin the inner dimension. Why was it the Beit HaMikdash was built on their property? Benjamin we know because he was the only one of the brothers that had nothing to do with the sale of Yosef. And therefore, the Beit HaMikdash was built with the inner part, the inner dimension, the heart of the Beit HaMikdash is built on his portion. On the other hand, Yehuda, he receives the Mizbeach HaHitzon. Why? Because of all the brothers, which brother do we find sacrifices for the other brothers? Yehuda. Number one, where Yehuda says to the brothers, let's sell him instead of killing him. Okay? Number two as well, Yehuda says and he offers, he says to his father, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to be the one that brings him back. You know, Yehuda fights, he's willing, ready, willing and able to throw everything on the line to be able uh, to bring his brother back, to bring his brother Benjamin back. And what's remarkable in this moment is that we see that a brother sacrificing a brother, that creates a Beit HaMikdash. Sacrificing for a brother creates a Beit HaMikdash. The sacrificing of a brother, all the other brothers that are willing to sacrifice Yosef, in, the, in their portion, in their place, the Beit HaMikdash cannot be built. So effectively, what we're noticing here is this unbelievable correlation between what happens when brothers come together versus what happens when brothers are torn apart. Now I want to take this idea a little bit deeper and we'll start to understand why Yosef is crying right now specifically, thank you for the coffee, is crying, why specifically right now Benjamin is crying, uh, sorry, Yosef is crying on the shoulders of Benjamin. You know, we are all familiar with this concept that Yosef HaSadiq, when he saw the brothers come in and they did not recognize him, he decided to embark on this very strange plan. A plan to be able to bring the brothers to him and have them kneel before him. What was the purpose of that? Why was Yosef acting in such a cruel way? How could he do that? And in fact, one of the Mepharshim asks an even deeper question. How could he do this to his father? Yosef loved his father. Yaakov loved Yosef. How could he do it to his dad? This whole procedure. And the answer is, or one of the answers that's brought is, 
that Yosef understood that the brothers had a tremendous tikkun to make. What they had done was nothing short of destroy Am Yisrael with their own hands. Yosef knew that if, the, if he told his father, if they knew, then that was liable to never come about. And he knew as well that if he asked his dad, Dad, would you be willing to suffer for these 22 years? Would you be willing to suffer in order to ensure that there would be a future for Am Yisrael? He knew that his father would say yes. And how did he know that? Because he saw already that his father had risked 22 years to be able to continue and to create Am Yisrael. So the 22 years of Yosef in Egypt, Yosef said to himself, if I could bring about a teshuvah, a tikkun for the brothers, I know my father would want that. I know my brothers would want that. But the only way to do it is to play this game. Rambam says that the only possibility for teshuvah exists when a person is placed in the exact same scenario and when they're in that exact same scenario, they make a different choice than they made the first time. So Yosef is waiting to recreate, to set the stage again in a way where one brother is going to be in a pit. He's going to grab Benjamin, throw him away, throw the key away and see what will the brothers do? The sons of Leah, what will they do for the son of Yosef? Benjamin now took the favored position, son of the favored wife. What would the brothers do this time around? My friends, in the beginning of the parasha, we are seeing it play out. The problem is that all we got to at this part of the parasha is talk. And in the words of someone, some of us might remember, what do we need? A little less conversation, a little more action. Vayigash Yehuda is magnificent. He's prepared to. He's ready to. He's talking the talk. But end of the day, he didn't do the action. And as we say, there's a very powerful expression in the Gemara. The expression goes, Lo ati dibur umvatel maaseh. As an example, when's that used, that concept? Emmanuel, can I trouble you for a little milk and, and sweetener? Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the combination. Nathan. I need you to understand this concept. If I come to you and I make a kinyan on a deal, and then I, we have a conversation, I say, yeah, I don't really want to do that. I can't break the kinyan, which was a ma'aseh, with words. If I have words and then I make a ma'aseh, an action, the action is stronger, has a stronger presence than the words. So up until this point, you had words. You had words that sounded good. The stage was set. Teshuvah was right there. But Yosef, velo yachol, Yosef lehitapek, and Yosef could not hold himself back, opposite his brothers. He put them through hell. He put himself through hell. Why couldn't Yosef hold on just one minute longer? What happened in this moment that Yosef crumbled? And I need to share with you what I call 
the paradox of Joseph. The paradox of Joseph looks a little something like this. What was the crime of the brothers? Does anyone know? Thank you so, so much. What was the crime of the brothers? And I'll tell you how I know that this is their crime. The crime of the brothers was not that they sold Joseph. Yeah. Excellent. Shai nailed it. And you know how we know this? Because the brothers say, when everything goes wrong, the brothers say, this is happening to us. You know why this is happening to us? Because he begged and he pleaded and he cried, and we didn't listen to his cries. Now, that's very instructive. All the commentaries point out. They did not say that the reason why this is happening to us is because we sold our brother. They felt, and they still felt, and on some level, it was true. They felt, from their perspective, their brother was trying to cut them out of Am Yisrael. Their brother was a spiritual rodef. He was chasing after them to eliminate them from the Jewish story. Like we always say, that had been their experience up until that point. There's always one brother or one son who takes on the mantle of the Jewish people. You have it with Avram and Isaac and Yishmael gets distanced. You have it with uh, Yitzchak and uh, Yaakov and Esav gets distanced. And now the brothers think, okay, great. Yosef's the favored one. If he keeps speaking this way to our dad, what's going to happen? We're going to be cast aside. And he's lying to our father. He misjudged us. So they think we got to get him out of the way. At the end of the rope, they still do not say, this is happening because we sold our brother. What do they say? How could we have heard his cries and not listened? We're not being punished for the action. We're being punished for the cruelty. We're being punished for the indifference that we showed when we heard our brother crying. Now, I always thought to myself, what a powerful lesson. They think that they're right. They are, in their own minds, right. And yet, they're willing to accept that even if they're right, how could they look past the crying and the suffering of a brother? You got that? It doesn't matter if you don't have another way. Come up with another way. You can't visit pain like this on a brother. How often does that happen with us? You know? Well, he put himself in this situation. He shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have done that. I told him 10 times. This is his bed. He made it. Now he sleeps in it. That's what we say. But you see the brothers are recognizing that even though they felt they were 100% right, how could we have heard his cries? How? And walked away. My friends, Joseph is crying on the neck of Benjamin because at that moment in history, they had planted a hatred of brothers in the story of the Jewish people. And Joseph was trying to uproot that sin'ah from the Jewish people by recreating, by building a teshuvah moment, an opportunity for them to undo what they had once done. But the paradox of Joseph is that if the moment of sin'at chinam happens, built on the fact that they can hear the cries of their brother and be indifferent. Joseph is left with the paradox of Joseph. Because now, in his recreation of the Teshuvah moment, 
his brothers are crying. If he pushes ahead with the best of intentions until the action comes and teshuva is brought about, what did he just recreate? In the moment of uncreating the sinah from them to him, what has he created? An, an, an absolute indifference to the cries of his brothers within himself. So in the act of undoing one sinat chinam between brothers, he will have recreated another sinat chinam between brothers. Joseph is forced, checkmate, paradox of Joseph, Joseph falls. Got it? He falls on the necks of Benjamin because the Beit HaMikdash built in the property of Benjamin, who was never part of the sale. Yosef says, I tried to save them. And that's why he's crying now. I tried to save them, but I couldn't. I was left with my check mate moment with my paradox of Joseph moment. According to this, we start to understand this concept of the Beit HaMikdash, of this place. And I think also we start to understand a very strange Gemara. The Gemara tells us, in the name of Rabbi Yohanan, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because the Jewish people did not act with one another. Lifnim Mishurat Hadin. Those words mean that they were not with one another above the letter of the law. They didn't go above and beyond for their brother. Everybody asks the same question. That teaching of the Gemara is mufrach me'elav. It, it, uh, it, uh, uh, it undoes itself. Because if something is above the letter of the law, that means that it isn't the law. Which means that it can't be that we were punished for not doing something that you don't have to do. Because if it's something which is punishable by the letter of the law, then by virtue of that alone, de facto, it becomes the law. One more time, let me explain. Let's say as an example, there's a lot of gray area in tax law, in general in law. Imagine someone is brought to court by the IRS, and the IRS says, look, you know, you didn't pay this tax. And the guy says, well, what do you want? Look, here's the tax law. This is unclear. It doesn't say here that I have to pay. Could they possibly throw him in jail for that? They couldn't. Why? Because it's a gray area. You can't be punished for something which isn't law. That is the definition of what is law. And if, by the way, you could punish, it, punish me for it, it wouldn't be considered above the letter of the law. That itself would tell you that it was readable into the law itself. So how could Rabbi Yochanan say that they were punished and the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because they did not go above the letter of the law. And the answer, my friends, is you don't have to pay the guy. He didn't do the job. But he's telling you that his wife and kids are at home and they have no food to eat. You don't owe him the money. You were maybe even allowed to sell Yosef. You had an amazing plan for Teshuvah. But you heard your brother crying how do you watch that and not act? That's what it means. It's an exact replica 
of the story of the brothers in the pit, that they did not act You have the right to sell them. Maybe that's true. In your, you know, kangaroo court that you set up. Good. Let We got it. You got it. You have the situation wrong. It's not true. You misjudged him. But according to your own understanding, that's what you have to do. But he's crying. And that's what the brothers say to the, about themselves. We deserve this level of punishment for doing something that was considered to be right. But that was not sensitive. My friends, the Beit HaMikdash is built in that space. Yehuda, who sacrifices for his brother Rabbi Weimar teaches, has within his portion the Mizbeach, which is literally the source of sacrifice. He sacrifices, he puts stuff on the line. So he built this idea into the rubric, into the fabric of the Jewish people that a brother could sacrifice for a brother. When the time came and we were no longer willing to do that, the Beit HaMikdash, it just, its spiritual essence, its spiritual source, it just crumbles. This is the nature of Sinat Chinam. This is the nature of the Beit HaMikdash. This is the nature of what Yosef was trying to do and why he feels so terrible that he's not managed to get this across the finish line for his brother, for Benjamin. And he begins to cry on the shoulders of Benjamin. My friends, for each and every one of us, I think the lesson is not about the Beit HaMikdash, but rather perhaps a little bit closer to home. In our own experience, the Beit HaMikdash is a reference to the Jewish home. And in our own Jewish homes, you, your wife, your children, your family, your parents, you're building a mini version of the Beit HaMikdash. Recognize that what destroys a home is an unwillingness to sacrifice for another even when you're right because they're in pain and you are not listening. And if you were listening, it would stop mattering whether you were right or you were wrong and you'd be unable to not listen to the cries of a brother. May Hashem bless us with ears big enough to hear and hearts big enough to care. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.